0: kids and we were out at the lake and they had this like 20 foot tall high dive and the kids thought it would be a great idea for me to go with them off of this high dive right and it's not that I'm afraid of heights I just don't really want to voluntarily fling myself from a height okay So I saw that, and I'm like, "Uh, no thanks, kids. And they're like, oh, please, uh, no, please, no, please, no. And then the counselor that was there that I may or may not have had a crush on that summer before I ever knew Sarah um, says, hey, you should do that. That'd be cool. And I'm like, well, I should try it. (laughs) (laughs) So I go with the kids out there. And um, I'm getting ready, and and, and next thing you know, it's it's my turn in line. And suddenly, like, this doubt begins to set in, and I'm like, this is really a bad idea. And the kids that were around me, I think they sensed that in me, because kids, much like dogs and killer bees, can smell fear, (laughs) all right? Which reminds me, uh, anyone want to volunteer for Quest Kids when he volunteers for that upstairs? All right, sign up after church. Um, But they sensed this in me, right? And and I think that they they were trying to encourage me a little bit. And so one of the kids is like, come on, Matt, you can do it, Matt. Yeah, Matt, Matt, Matt. And I'm like, stop that right now. (laughs) And then it starts to spread. And the other kids are like, yeah, yeah, Matt, Matt, Matt. This is going to end badly for everyone, right? And one of the things that that we all know about the the odd thing of of someone chanting your name, a couple of things about that, it starts to spread contagiously, right? And you might not even know what's being chanted, but you can't help but jump in, right? And so somebody's like, who's Matt? Who cares? Matt, Matt, Matt. And it spreads. Next thing you know, the people on the shore are like, yeah, Matt, Matt, Matt. And it's crazy. The other thing about someone chanting your name is, is you can't help but do whatever it is they're trying to get you to do. There's some kind of trigger in us, right, that like fills our soul with courage when someone's chanting our name and apparently also shuts the brain off immediately, right? And we think this is a good idea. So next thing I know, I'm standing 20 feet in the air, getting ready to go off of this high dive and feeling the courage of everyone chanting my name. And I'm like, this is amazing. I love this. And I start taking off running to do this. And I'm running to the end of the diving board. And that is about the moment when all of my good sense and judgment comes flooding back and says, why are you doing this? This is a terrible idea. I'm like, this is a terrible idea. And I tried to stop myself, okay? Yeah. yeah. And at that moment, gravity, momentum, inertia, all enter into a conspiracy against me, all right? Next thing I know, I am, like, completely parallel to the surface of the lake. Yeah, exactly. It was a beautiful, sunny day. And the surface of the lake was just completely clear. I could see the sun reflecting off of it, the beautiful sky behind me. I could also see the reflection of someone rushing at me that looked like this. (laughs) (laughs) Boom! I hit the surface of that lake, and it sounded and felt like a shotgun going off, right? I remember I hit, and it felt like I, like, hit for a second and stayed on the surface and then went, bloop, 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 right? As I hit, I could also hear the sound of the crowd, right? And there was this strange transition in the sound of the crowd. It went from, meh, 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 to ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was the lifeguard, like the buff lifeguard guy, right? And he's like, you need a hand, buddy? And I'm like, I hate you. All right. <laughs> <laughs> there are some stories that leave a mark on you, Right? quite literally, unfortunately, these stories of impact and collision, right, that send these reverberations through us, and these stories that, that leave a mark on us, right? We all have these kind of stories. Uh, hopefully for you, they're not quite as literal as that, but we all have these stories that leave a mark on us, that leave this impact, this collision kind of story, and, and, and reshapes us, Right? We all have those kinds of stories. As a church, we really try hard and we are very intentional about trying to orient ourselves in a story that will shape us. Orient ourselves in a story that will leave a mark on us. That's what we are trying to do. And through all of our efforts in discipleship, through our efforts in teaching here as part of the worship on Sunday morning, all of that is trying to orient us into the greater story. Into the story of God, into the story of God's redemptive acts in this world—the God who loves us so much, He goes to hell and back to secure our rescue. So we try to to root ourselves in the sweep of that story because we know, without a doubt, that story will leave a mark on us. That story will reshape us as people. It will take us from this moment of orientation of understanding the world how we see it into this moment of disorientation where all of that is is shaken up and then into reorientation when we begin to understand the world as it should be known as it was intended to be known and seen and understood we try to be very intentional about that part of the ways that we do that is we always try in our teaching to root ourselves in the scripture and so through the summers we usually take walking through an entire book, and walk through that together. In the fall, we do a focus on the Old Testament to make sure we're getting a full sweep of the whole story of God. As we move into the season of Advent, we try to practice that discipline of the ancient Christian calendar, what Christians for generations and generations and centuries have been doing to orient themselves in the great story of God, and that is to to Follow those rhythms of the Christian calendar which orient us in the story. So we begin in Advent. We anticipate and we hope for the arrival of the Savior, Jesus Christ, the long-awaited Messiah. And then at Christmas, we celebrate that arrival. At Epiphany, we ask God to open our hearts to reveal to us the truth of who he is. And then as we come through the season of Lent... We try to intentionally walk with Jesus. And so we study his life and we study his teachings so that we are walking with him. We don't want to jump just from Christmas to Easter, right? We don't want to do that. Instead, we try to walk through the full life of Jesus so that we experience the the anticipation of waiting for his birth, the thrill of his birth, the walking with him through his ministry and his life. And then walking with him to the cross, and we experience the sorrow and the agony of what the cross represents. And yet at the same time, the sweetness that it means for us, for our salvation. We experience that moment on Saturday, that time of when the whole world as we knew it has been shooken up completely. And then we experience the joy of Easter Sunday morning when he is raised from the dead through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Father, through the power of the Son himself, raised into life again. This is the great story. So we try to root ourselves in that, orient ourselves in that rhythm. That is part of what we're doing here today. Today, we're beginning a new series that we're going to follow all the way through this season of Lent. And Lent, as we said, is a, is a season that Christians have celebrated for centuries. It's a way of helping us to walk with Jesus towards the cross. It's the 40 days that lead up to Easter Sunday. And so we walk with him through this desert period, through this wilderness period, where we see the cross coming into view, and we know what is coming. We can feel the story begin to tighten around us. We can feel the tones of darkness beginning to creep in. We know what is coming and we know what must be done. And so as we walk with Jesus through this, we draw closer to him. We lean in closer to him. part of that practice is is that many people choose to fast through these 40 days. So we give up something that we love, something that we desire, something that we crave, something that we need in order to remind ourselves of our deepest desire of the one that we need the most, of the one that we want the most. And that's what Lent is about. This is not a practice of willpower. It's not a practice of willpower. What can you give up and hold on to and make it all the way through the 40 days? That's not what it's about. It's not about willpower. This is about will surrender and having your will completely reshaped to the pattern of God's will as he lives that out in your life. That is what Lent is about, and that is what we're going to try to practice together over these next several weeks. And so one way that we're going to do that is we are going to draw near. We're going to lean in and draw near by studying prayer, by following Jesus into his school of prayer, by understanding through the life, through the teaching of Jesus, what prayer is about. And prayer is this invitation into deeper communion with God. It is this communion with God. A lot of times we refer to prayer as a conversation with God. And absolutely, there is that aspect to it, this intimacy of old friends, right? But it's more than just a conversation with God, because sometimes there are no words to make up the conversation sometimes we don't know what to pray sometimes the pain is so deep in us that we don't have words to express what it is we're experiencing and yet we pray to him in that there are times when the joy is so rich we don't have words to express what it is we're experiencing and yet prayer happens through that, Prayer is more than just conversation. It is communion with God. It is a movement of our hearts towards his heart. That's what it is. And God invites us into that relationship. God invites us into that to know him deeply. That's what prayer is. And, and, and so that's also why we pray. Is to experience communion with him, to know his heart, to have him know our hearts, and also to be transformed along the way. There's an author named Richard Foster who says to pray is to change. To pray is to change. That often prayer is the avenue of transformation that God uses in our lives. It continues that process of transformation that he has already started in us. And prayer is an invitation into that. It's an invitation to know his heart as we open our hearts to be known to him. So when we talk about what prayer is and when we talk about why we should pray, uh, eventually it also leads to the question of, so how should we pray? And when we talk about this, there are all kinds of opinions out there and all kinds of books and resources about how to pray and how to have a more effective prayer life, how to be more successful at prayer, okay? And those can be helpful at times. But when we are starting where we need to begin is with Jesus himself. We would be foolish to start anywhere else. We would be foolish to look anywhere else first than to look at the life of Jesus himself. Because right here in the Sermon on the Mount, in the book of Matthew, Jesus is giving this revolutionary teaching where he's talking about these things, about, about loving your enemy and about the reversing the order of who is blessed, right? And so he's kind of, Taking this moment where he sits down on a hillside he opens his mouth and he turns the world upside down and right here in the middle of this incredible revolutionary teaching we have jesus say these words right here in matthew chapter 6 in verse 9 he begins by saying this then is how you should pray And as we read those words, all of our opinions, all of the debates, all the other resources we can turn to about how to pray, grind to a silence. And we lean in, hanging on what he says next. Jesus himself, the very son of God, God himself says to us, this is how you should pray. And so everything else fades for a moment and we lock in. To what he has to say and we say teach us lord how to pray teach us how to pray and so it's in that that jesus prays this incredible prayer that we many of us know by heart at least all of us have heard it is something that has worked its way into our culture even in this day and time it's something that we're still familiar with we hear it at weddings we hear it at funerals We hear it from, like, people getting ready to go into a sporting event, right? We hear it from people getting ready to go into a concert and getting ready to perform things that probably don't match up at all with this, and yet they pray it beforehand, right, as some kind of good luck charm or something. But we want to strip all of that away, and we want to come back to this moment where Jesus says, this is how you should pray. We want to lean into what he has to say. We want to hang on every word as we are invited by Jesus into his school of prayer. We all understand that we should pray to Jesus, right? But in this moment, we're invited to pray with Jesus. We're invited to understand what it means to pray and how we should pray. The one who has the deepest intimacy with the Father is saying, let me show you what it's like. He's pulling back the veil and inviting us into that intimacy with him. And so we hang on every word and we lock into what he has to say. And in fact, that's how it begins here. The whole way that this prayer starts is he begins with this phrase where he says, Our Father, our Father. This is the way he addresses God. He doesn't begin with almighty, all powerful, things like that. He begins with this phrase of our Father. Now, all throughout the Gospels, Jesus hammers away at the truth that he is the Son of God. Hammers away, referring God, to God constantly as his Father. And every time, almost, almost every single time that Jesus prays in the Gospel, this is how he begins his prayer. This is how he addresses God. It's he addresses him as Father. And so we understand that, that he is Jesus' Father, Right? And yet Jesus invites us into the intimacy of this divine father-son relationship. And he says, this is how you should pray. You should begin by saying, our father, our father. And so we are invited into that intimacy that Jesus himself has experienced. This is the framework for the entire rest of the prayer. This is the framework of the way we understand anything about prayer. This is it. It begins right here with this intimacy of our father, our father. This is what we are invited into. This is where our understanding and our practice of prayer begins. Now, let's stop right here and and be honest about something. Okay, we talked about this uh, quite a bit here, but we have to stop whenever we talk about this because of the reality of the culture that we live in today. For some of us, when we hear this, that prayer is is an invitation into a relationship with the Father. For some of us, that opens prayer up and it infuses it with this freedom, with this joy, with this hope. But for others of us, when we hear that, it doesn't matter what else Jesus has to say here about prayer. Everything else gets strangled out by this beginning our father, immediately we shut it off and we say, oh, okay, no thank you, no thanks. I've been down that road before, and quite frankly, I do not want to go there again. For many of us, our relationship with our earthly fathers is is a major barrier between us and our heavenly father. For many of us, we hear God referred to as father, and it is this blockade between us. We don't want anything to do with him. We are afraid to get close to him. There is this intimidation and this fear of being hurt because of our past experiences. When we are disappointed by our fathers, it cuts us deep. Because simply by our nature, we understand what that relationship is supposed to be like. And so when it doesn't live up to that, the pain... Is deep. And for many of us, it marks every other experience in our lives. But here's the thing about this father. If our experiences with our heavenly father have been have been terrible experiences, have been painful experiences. We know the pain is there because we know what it is supposed to be like. We see it in the lives of our friends around us. We see their dads and we think, I wish my dad was like him. Right? We have this idea of what we think a father should be like. Jesus reveals to us that our heavenly father takes all of those dreams and hopes of what you think a father should be like and blows them out of the water with the reality of who God is, with the reality of his heart for us. This is a, God, a father who never leaves. This is a father who tells the truth. This is a father who loves us no matter what. This is a father who fights for us, who stands with us. This is a father who is pleased with us. This is a father who loves us without condition. This is who he is. And Jesus, by beginning this way, invites us into this deep, rich grace. By beginning to understand God, not as some far off deity somewhere that is distant from us, but as the best kind of father you can imagine. This is a good and loving father. This is the best that it gets. You know what a father should be like. That's why it hurts when your dad isn't like that. This father blows that away more than you ever hoped for. More than you ever hoped for. And that is the grounding of this entire teaching on prayer that Jesus invites us into This is the beginning of our understanding of it. This is the beginning of our practice of it. It starts right here with this intimacy of God as father. So all of our prayer life flows out of this relationship, out of a relationship with the best kind of father, with a good and loving father. Everything flows out of that. And so out of that, we understand, we begin to learn what it means to ask God. And sometimes we think we shouldn't ask out of things. We don't want to bother him, or maybe that's too self centered. We don't want to do that. But God invites us to ask. God invites us to ask. In your asking, you are saying that he is strong enough to deliver. You are saying you believe he has the power. You also believe he cares enough to hear and to listen and to do something about it. For many of us, this is where faith begins. We find ourselves at a point where we don't know what else to do, so we do something we haven't done in years, and that is we ask God for help. Do you think God is like, well, too late, you should have done that earlier? No. No, he is thrilled by that. And he sees in that the declaration of hope and faith that you think he might actually be able to do something. And he invites that. We also learn what it means to intercede for each other. To intercede or intercession is the kind of prayer where we don't just pray for ourselves, but we pray for people around us. This is the art of prayer as friendship. And so we enter into the trenches with our friends around us, and we pray on behalf of them. This is what we're doing for Jason through this time. We are learning the art of prayer as friendship when we pray for Jason. And we pray for him as he walks through this. We are doing that as we pray for our friend Abby, as her, her, her family has, has been displaced by their home being burnt, burning down. This is what we do. We come around. We come to our friends in their time of need, and we pray for them even in times when they don't have the strength to pray for themselves. We fight for our friends in prayer. That is what intercession is. We also are invited into fasting. And when we fast, like I said, this is something that where we intentionally and willingly give something up in order to bring our focus on to God. But we have to remember that it's about focusing us on God. It's not about trying to win God's focus on us. Remember, this is your father you're talking to. He already loves you. You don't have to fight to get his attention. It's already on you. He loves you. Fasting is not about focusing him on us. It's about focusing us on him and and focusing our desire on him first. And even questioning. This is one of the things we talk about all the time here. God invites your questions. He is not afraid of your questions. He is not afraid of your doubt. Express that to him. Express it to him. Again, it's a subtle declaration of your hope and faith that he is big enough to handle that. Do not be afraid of that. A lot of times we see our doubts and we see our questions as these blockades that keep us from going deeper. Maybe they're invitations instead, though. Maybe they're invitations to draw deeper. Maybe they're invitations to walk with him at a deeper level and to ask him to walk you through and to reveal to you what this is about. He's not afraid of your questions. He says, bring that to him. Bring that to him. He's big enough to handle it, and he loves you enough to handle it. So Jesus says, this is how you should pray. It begins with this intimate relationship with the Father, our Father. That is the ground of it. He also tells us, though, in this same passage how not to pray. And he says very specifically, do not pray like the hypocrites. They do these super long prayers and they do all of this stuff to bring attention to themselves, to make people think that they are so pious, that they are so passionate and religious by doing this. And he says, but they've already received their reward with that public attention. That's what they were after in the first place, anyway, he says. He says, don't pray like that. Don't pray like the hypocrites. You don't have to get win God's attention with some dramatic display. This is your father you're talking to. It's interesting. The word hypocrite is still a word we throw around all the time. When Jesus first uses it, this is the first time it enters into any, any kind of moral type of meaning. The word hypocrite in this day simply meant a play actor, like a stage actor. Okay, and that's what it meant. And so people, we understand that. When they get on a stage as part of a play, they they put forth this image. But we all understand that as soon as the play is over, as soon as the drama is over, they don't walk out of there still being that person, right? Um, Tonight is the Oscars, and I know a lot of you will probably be watching that, okay? And so we don't look and see Daniel Day-Lewis still wearing the Lincoln Top hat, right? Although, I wouldn't be shocked, let's face it, okay? But none of us are, think that that is him. We're not like, oh, there, there he is. There, there's Lincoln. No, we, we understand that that's not it. We understand that's something that you put on. And when that time comes to an end, when the curtain falls, you go back to the reality of who you really are. The same is true, Jesus says, for the hypocrites. That's what they are. They're play actors. They put forth an image. When the applause fades... When the attention goes away, when the curtain falls, they go back to the reality of who they are. Jesus says, make prayer the reality of who you are. It is not a drama. God is not listening from a box seat waiting to be impressed. This is your father you're talking to. Be yourself and be real. Let that be reality of who you are. As, as he goes on, he says, our father in heaven, our father in heaven. And so what this indicates is two things. Number one, how high God is, how mighty God is, that God reigns over everything, that he is the sovereign king over everything. And at the same time, though, it represents the presence of God. God, when people would have heard this initially and in their understanding of God who dwells in heaven, what they understood it to mean is this. God who fills everything, who fills everything, the earth, the earth and the heavens, he fills it all. And so, yes, God is, is as high as the outer reaches of existence, but at the same time, he is as close as the air in your lungs. This is their understanding of what that meant. And this is true for us, too. And so this informs how we pray, to know that God reigns above it all. And at the same time, he is as close as he can possibly be. He is, in fact, within us. The Holy Spirit dwelling within us. This is it. He's the sovereign king, and he is his own presence within us. And so out of this, we learn what it means to listen. We learn what it means to listen. Soren Kierkegaard said that when we begin to pray, we think of it as talking. The more we pray, we begin to realize it is listening. It is listening. This is such an important part of prayer. Absolutely, God cares what is on your heart, and he is listening to what you have to say. At the same time, he invites us to be still, to be quiet, In the middle of a world that is rushing around us to quiet ourselves, to stop and to listen. The God who is the sovereign king, everything under his reign, supreme wisdom invites us to listen to his wisdom. The God who is as close as it can possibly get, the God who dwells now within us says, listen as I speak to you. You may have to wait for an uncomfortably long time. But he invites you to wait and to listen. To know that he is capable of speaking to you. Then the last piece of what we're talking about today here. And just this opening phrase of the prayer. He begins with this intimacy of our father. Then he moves into this, this revelation of the power of God. Our father who fills the heavens and earth. And then he closes it here in this section with the idea of God as holy, the reverence of the holiness of God's name, the Holy One. He says, our God, our Father in heaven, may your name be honored as holy. Your name is so holy, again, begins with intimacy, moves to power, and now this recognition of reverence for his holiness, an unparalleled kind of holiness. Here's the thing. The intimacy of God as Father does not erode the holiness of God. It does not do that. And at the same time, the holiness of God does not distance us from intimacy with him. This is part of the mystery of being with god of being in god and of god being in us this holiness that we are invited into because of the work of jesus christ here's the thing there's a there's an author named dallas willard who wrote this incredible book called the divine conspiracy i recommend it to you highly here's what he says until god's very name is held in the highest regard the human compass will always be pointing in the wrong direction And individual lives as well as history as a whole will suffer from constant and fluctuating disorientation. This is where we find our orientation. This is where we find our reference point and our framework for everything else is in this holiness of God, a God who is so high, so holy, and yet invites us into intimacy with him. This is what prayer is about. And when we talk about honoring God's name, we mean more than just the way that that it leaves our lips and more than just the way it rolls off of our tongues. We're talking about the way that we carry his name in everyday life. And in this, prayer becomes an act of worship. Our lives become an act of worship. Our lives are our liturgy. Right? Every, every thought becomes a prayer as we live this out. This is what we're invited into. Our Father in heaven, your name is holy, and may your name be honored as holy. This is just the beginning of what Jesus has to teach us about prayer. But he says it begins with this intimacy. Understanding God as our father. We're invited into that. The best kind of father you can imagine. A good and loving father. Who hears. And who loves. And who acts. And then the God who is in heaven. Who fills the heavens and the earth. From the farthest reaches of existence. And yet as close as the air in your lungs. The God who reigns over it all. Who wants to teach us his wisdom. Who wants to give that us and hallowed be your name may your name be honored as holy you are so holy and may I express that through the way that I live my life every day as we close out this morning we're going to do a little something different instead of closing with a song like we normally would we're going to close by taking a few moments to pause and to pray together We're going to act this out, exactly what we've just been talking about. So prepare your hearts for this. Let's pray to God as Father, first of all. Take a few moments and open your heart up to him as the good and loving Father. Maybe it's something you want to ask. Maybe it's an intercession for someone else. Maybe you just want to listen. If this is a blockade for you, if this is a point of friction for you, ask God to help you to understand the reality of his character, the beauty of his character, that he is trustworthy, and that he loves you. Pray to God as Father. Pray to God who is in heaven. Who reigns as the sovereign king. Everything. Is under his jurisdiction. Pray to him with confidence. Knowing. That at the same time. He is as close to you. As he can be. That the power of that. Not only reigns over all of creation, but he also reigns over your life as well. Pray to the God whose name is holy as a reflection of his character that is holy. Worship him, honor his name. I invite you to stand together, and we are going to close today by praying the Lord's Prayer together, all right? You can follow along on the screen, and we will pray together, and this will be our amen for today, okay? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. (laughs) And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the power and the kingdom and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.